So have you ever heard the expression, drinking from a fire hose? <laughs> well, if you've never heard of that expression before, you are going to experience drinking from a fire hose today. Uh, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt, and we are in week 10 of our sermon series called Convergence, based on the book written by Pastor John Thompson, who's a pastor here in Canada. Now, we've been going through this book, talking about Jesus as our model. We've been looking at spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that we bring into our lives, not because we have to, but because we get to, and use those practices to draw closer to God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, those special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives every single follower of Jesus. And how those supernatural abilities are used by the church to build one another up. That everybody is needed. Everybody is important. Everybody is a part of the work that God wants to do in the context of a local church. So when I say we're going to drink from a fire hose today, it's because we've got a lot of material to cover again today. We've gone through about half of the spiritual gifts so far in the first two weeks. And if you missed those, you can check those out on our YouTube channel. But today I want to go over the last remaining gifts. We're going to go through about 10 of them today. And I realize it's a lot, but I think you're really going to be blessed as we go through all of these together today. Just as a reminder, the reason we're talking about these spiritual gifts is because of our big idea. And the big idea that we saw for the last couple of weeks, it's the same big idea that we're doing this week, and it's this. As a church, we want you to know your spiritual gift and to serve out of those, serve from those. See, we don't want people volunteering and serving in the ministry of Greenbelt Church out of guilt, out of obligation, out of, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'll do this. God has given you, as a follower of Jesus, a supernatural gift that we need, <laughs> that I need to grow spiritually. I need your gift to be used in the context of the body of Christ to build one another up. And so these are incredibly important to know and serve out of those. So the way the book breaks up the spiritual gifts, it puts them into three different categories. We started in the first uh, topic, we talked about the love gifts. And these are like the manifest love of God in practical ways. Last week, we talked about word gifts, right? And they clarify the nature, the action, and the purpose of God. And today we're going to talk about power gifts. And these power gifts, they demonstrate the power presence and reality of God. Now, because we're going to be going through so many of these, and what I find fascinating is that the bigger number of gifts in these three categories are the power gifts. The reason I'm not going to get into deep, deep, deep levels of detail about these gifts, because quite honestly, these tend to be the gifts that... Um, create a lot of tension in churches. These tend to be the gifts that cause a significant amount of disunity in the body of Christ. And so I want to approach these gifts 
with a whole lot of grace and humility today. And I'm approaching them believing that all of them are still in effect in the church. I am not what is known as a cessationist. I do not hold to the theological position that some gifts stopped with the apostles. Number of Christians, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled Christians believe some of the gifts have stopped after the apostles wrote the New Testament. I don't fall in that category. But I do recognize there's a lot of tension with these gifts, depending on the background that people come from, depending on people's interpretation of these texts. So we're going to hold this really loosely today with a lot of grace, with a lot of humility, understanding that this is a journey, understanding that this is a process. Like One of the things I loved about John Thompson's book, Convergence, is he shared that when he started studying these spiritual gifts and how they were not being exercised in his church, well, they went on a 10-year journey to see how God wanted them to bring these gifts to be more active into the life of the church. So for those of you who love these power gifts, and man, you just can't wait until Greenbelt does a lot more of them, and you're expecting everything to change next Sunday, my word for you is relax. (laughs) Now, maybe you fall on the exact opposite side, and you hear about these power gifts, and they make you very nervous and very uncomfortable, and you're terrified that Greenbelt's going to start implementing these next week. I have the exact same word for you today, too relax. (laughs) We're all on this journey together as a family, studying what the scriptures teach us. And as elders, as the staff, as deacons, as ministry leaders, we're looking at how this plays out in the life of the church. Again, so we're going to use a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of humility today as we talk about these uh, power gifts. We're going to talk about prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, intercession, faith, discernment, healing, miracles, words of knowledge, or wisdom. Woo, a lot. So uh, let's just kind of jump right into it today. The first gift that I want to start talking about is the gift of prophecy. We can see that this gift is mentioned many, many times in the New Testament. And um, one example is in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Where Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. Again, so often when these gifts are mentioned in the New Testament, they're short little statements like this. You don't always get these big definitions of what they are because um, Paul is just writing what the church is doing. Right? He's just describing kind of the life of all these churches that he's writing to. And sometimes it gets a little bit lost in church history of what these things were, of how people were actually doing it, because we just have little sentences like this, right? So sometimes when we think of the word prophecy, we think of Old Testament style prophecy. Like we think, for example, of the prophecies that pointed to the birth of Jesus, that prophecy is about kind of a word or or some information about a future event, Now, we do see people playing that role in the Old Testament. We do see kind of that call of the prophet. That's not necessarily a spiritual gift of prophecy, but it's an office of the prophet who gets a revelation from God about the future. 
when we're talking about the spiritual gift of prophecy, it's not so much about speaking about future events, but rather it's about delivering a truth um, of, pre- of a predictive nature or a situational word from God. Right? Its goal is not to try to guess the future or predict the future. Its goal is to exhort the community of God to edify or comfort believers or to convince people of God's truth. See, now this gift, because it can tend to cause a lot of tension, Paul actually allocates quite a lot of writing um, towards this gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Right? This is the chapter which is known as the orderly worship service. <laughs> And again, depending on people's Christian background or people's experience with these types of gifts, right? Some people, when they hear the orderly worship service, instantly their back gets defensive and they go, well, you're squashing the work of the Holy Spirit by trying to control it too much. But then you have the exact opposite flip side where people go, oh, yeah, no, you got to have the controlled environment because if not, it just turns into a show that non-Christians see and look at us not as people who are glorifying God, but Paul says we look as though we are out of our minds. So you can see the tension right there. And so Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He talks about prophecy. He talks about tongues, interpretations of tongues in that chapter. See, when I was in seminary, I was taught that Every single sermon that is delivered, like on a Sunday morning like this, or a sermon that you watch throughout the week, will hit on three predominant spiritual gifts. It'll hit on the spiritual gift of teacher, which we talked about. It'll hit on the spiritual gift of shepherd or pastor that we've talked about. As well, it will also hit on the gift of prophecy, of the prophet. And at that is those times in the context of the example of a sermon, I'm not saying sermons are the only place that those that gift of prophecy is exercised, but it's when the word of God is taken, the word of God has been taught, the shepherd's heart has brought comfort to the sheep, to the people who are listening to it, and then the prophetic comes. Right? The prophetic voice is, what are you going to do with this, church? It's, it's the John the Baptist voice in the wilderness. When the religious leaders came to hear John the Baptist's sermons and he saw them and he called out to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you about the upcoming kingdom of God? He's calling out their sin, saying, repent, turn back to God. Right? That's that prophetic voice. It's that person, that man, that woman calling people back. And so that's why, you know, intentionally, a lot of the times when I'm preparing a sermon, after I've studied and I've prayed and I've written it, a lot of the times I actually stand up here with blank sections in the sermon because I'm expecting God to speak. I know this is one of my gifts, and so I know that God uses it. And so sometimes, sometimes he gives it to me beforehand. But a lot of times I come up here and it's not until God tells me what to point to, what to encourage to, what to exhort to, where to bring comfort, where to bring that little prophetic push. (laughs) 
that's how that gift tends to work out. So you might have this spiritual gift of prophecy if you just kind of feel that tension. If you notice these things, you're just kind of getting that sense of people um, that they need to be exhorted. They need to be comforted. They need to be edified or that you just need to bring kind of the truth of God's word into people's lives. Now, Paul has a lot to say, and I would encourage you, if you haven't never read it already, make a note, read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a lot to be said there. And we're going to be talking about that more and more in the, in the fall as well. But let's kind of continue here. Let's now talk about, since we're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, now let's talk about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, I am not a betting man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy lottery tickets. I don't uh, make bets with people. Um, but I'm willing to make a wager that out of all the spiritual gifts that create tension in the church, tongues and the interpretation of tongues would be number one. <laughs> that this would be the number one gift that causes tension, that makes some people very uncomfortable, um, that makes people nervous, or again, the flip side, people just love it, but they don't understand why everybody else doesn't love it, and there's a lot of confusion on this topic. Now, the def by definition, uh, tongues would be to speak, to worship, or to pray in a language unknown to the speaker. Let me say that again. Tongues would be to speak, to worship, or to pray in a language unknown to the speaker. And now the interpretation of tongues is really simple to figure out. It's just being able to interpret the unknown language that the speaker is declaring, is speaking. I actually had my very first experience with the spiritual gifts of tongues when I was a young leader. Um, I was asked to be the guest speaker at a men's conference. Um, I was invited to this conference to be the main speaker, and I was asked to prepare a 50-minute message to encourage men to pursue the kingdom of God over the things of the world that men tend to pursue, our careers, our hobbies, different, you know, sin vices that we might have, then how could I use the word of God to encourage men to pursue God's kingdom first? And so we opened up in a time of worship, in a time of prayer, uh, and then the MC moved us into a time of praying in tongues, where a number of the people there began to pray in tongues. The MC was praying in tongues, and that took the remainder of the evening. The MC apologized to everybody in the audience, apologized to me, saying, well, we don't have time to hear from Kevin now, but I really hope that you leave here encouraged because of the time that you spent in the presence of God. Now, I'm going to admit something. I did feel incredibly encouraged by the presence of God in that moment. There, there was something holy that was happening but if I act, but then when I actually asked the guys who came with me from my men's group who came to that event, and I say, well, were you edified? Were you encouraged in your faith? And all the guys from my small group who came with me were like, no. Because, yes, I felt the touch of God. Yes, I set the presence to God. But what were we supposed to do with that? 
What were we supposed to do with that experience? And so that's what's kind of fascinating about the topic of tongues is, yes, it's the spiritual gift. Yes, it's the opportunity to feel the presence and the closeness of God. But Paul is very, very strict, probably more strict on this gift than any other gift he talks about in the New Testament. This one, he puts a lot of parameters around as well, which is fascinating, right? And like, for example, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 28, he says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker, so the one who's speaking in tongues, should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself in God. So why would Paul do that? Why would he say, well, if there's no one to interpret what's being said, just do it quietly yourself. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a few moments. But before I explain that, let me just kind of explain the two different types of tongues that we see here in the New Testament. The first that we see is from Acts chapter 2. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Bible says that then they begin speaking in tongues. They begin to speak in other languages. And what we know from the study of Acts chapter 2 is that these were other human languages that the people in the crowd could hear. They were hearing it in their own language, their own language of origin. Now, I talked to some people who say, no, 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 they're hearing the interpretation. The Holy Spirit has given them the interpretation of tongues, and that's why they're hearing it in their own language. And again, I would say, well, the text doesn't say that. Because the text teaches us, the Bible teaches us, that you do not receive a spiritual gift until you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that we do not receive the Holy Spirit until we have turned to Jesus. When we repent, then we are born again, then we are made new, then the Holy Spirit comes in us, and then we receive gifts. The reason why Paul puts so many parameters around tongues, interpretation of tongues, is because the Christian faith is not the only faith that practices this. In fact, in the world today, many different religions practice tongues because there is a spiritual thing happening. And for us as followers of Jesus, that we believe in a spiritual realm, we believe in a spiritual world, that um, we have to make sure that this is actually coming from the spirit of God and not coming from a false spirit, a false teacher, an antichrist spirit that's trying to lead us away from the things of God. Right. And so that's why Paul is very cautious with it, where he puts parameters around it. And so I think the danger of that, because there's these parameters and because there's this fear, what we tend to do, particularly in our Christian circle, is we just put it off to the side. We put it on a shelf. So, and we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to have the difficult conversations with it, about it. Um, but I don't think that's a healthy way to approach a gift just because it's difficult, just because we're not clear, or just because there could be some falseness that comes out from trying to exercise it, right? Like, because Paul himself actually says, if your gift is tongues, good, <laughs> pray in tongues. <laughs> but when, but, so, but sorry, and then he continues, but when you're with others, pray in a language that everyone around you knows. That's kind of the Kevin paraphrase of what we read about in 1 Corinthians 14, 
right? And so, again, can be a lot of tension, a lot of struggle, a lot of difficulty with it. But it doesn't mean we ignore it. It doesn't mean we don't wrestle through it. So prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, again, can create a little bit of tension. But that's okay. God's, God's good with our tension. <laughs> he can work through it. He can lead us through it. And then we go into another spiritual gift, which is called intercession. Some people just call this the spiritual gift of prayer. Now, again, this is another one of those spiritual gifts that is also a spiritual discipline. All of us as followers of Jesus should be praying. You know, Jesus taught his followers to pray by leading them in the Lord's Prayer. We should be praying regularly as followers of Christ. But intercession, the spiritual gift of intercession, the spiritual gift of prayer is different. Right? This gift is the special ability that God gives certain members of the body of Christ to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis. And they see frequent and specific answer to their prayers to a degree much greater than what is experienced by the average Christian. Right? Intercession um, is so much more than simply um, prayers of petition. Right, prayers of petition is when we pray to God for things that I need, things that my family needs, things that my church needs, things that you need. Right, I can pray a prayer of petition. Right, but intercession is more that we are praying on behalf of the other. That it's almost like I had a, someone's been mentoring me on this spiritual gift, and they've been asking me, Kevin, do you have this, and can you be praying more of an intercessory prayer for your church? I'm not too convinced I have this gift. They seem to see it in me, so I'm open to exploring it more. But it's that language that we read about, like in some of the Psalms, where, where King David actually places himself in the position of the people of Israel and prays on their behalf, confessing their sin on their behalf. Right? This is this intercession of going before God, on behalf of other people. Right? Paul gives instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says this. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, thanksgiving be made for all people. Right? There's different types of prayer disciplines, but there's also different types of spiritual gifts of prayer that the church desperately, desperately needs. And we have a number of people in our church, thanks be to God, with this spiritual gift. And I so appreciate their prayers for our church, their prayers for my family, their prayers for your family, for the decisions that we make as leaders. Because um, when they pray, God just seems to answer. And it's an amazing awesome thing to watch happen. So we talk about prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, intercession. Let's talk about the next spiritual gift. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about faith, the spiritual gift of faith. Now, again, every single Christian has faith, right? The Bible teaches us that it is by faith that you're saved from your sins, it's not because you kept all the spiritual practices that God loves you and that God accepts you and that you're saved from your sin. Now, the Bible teaches that it is by faith. 
It's not by your works. It's not by what you've accomplished. It's not by being religious, not by being a good girl or a good boy. Because if that was how we could earn God's salvation, we would be boastful about it. That's what we read in the book of Ephesians. (laughs) That we would brag, we would look down on the other people who are unable to accomplish spiritually what we've accomplished. If we were also able to earn our salvation by what we do, I believe then the opposite of that is true. Then we would lose our salvation based on what we do. But we do not earn our salvation based on what we do. We do not lose our salvation based on what we do. It is by our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that saves us from our sin. This spiritual gift of faith is different. The gift of faith is the ability that God gives certain members of the body of Christ to discern with extraordinary confidence the will or the purpose of God for his work. Someone who has this spiritual gift of faith can appear to other people as a little bit annoying. <laughs> that because they are so confident that God is going to come through. They are so confident in God's plan, whether for someone's life, for a ministry, for a church. They are so confident in the Lord's work that someone who's got, let's say, a gift of administration, like, no, 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 well, you didn't plan that out. Like, I need to see more details before I can get all excited like you are. Or someone who's got a spiritual gift of leader would be like, well, no, wait a second. Is that fully aligned with our vision and our, and our plans that we've been working on? And I'm not too sure. I, I, I need to think about it. Or someone who's got a spiritual gift of prayer would go, whoa, 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 I need you to calm down a little bit because maybe we should just go and pray about it a little bit more. <laughs> right? But that spiritual gift of faith... I firmly believe that the spiritual gift of faith is actually the tipping point in the local church to see things happen. Like I remember, oh, when was this now? Five, six years ago when we were talking as a church family about going to multiple services. Now, that was not a difficult conversation, but had some tension to it. Because by going to multiple services, we were Basically, well, not basically, we were fundamentally changing the DNA of our church, where now we would no longer be a church where everybody has the opportunity of knowing everybody. Now, sidebar, we already were a church where everybody didn't know everybody. I didn't even know everybody because of the size that we were. But this kind of really puts the nail in the coffin on that issue because now one person goes to 9 o'clock, the other person goes to 11 o'clock. It's almost like two different congregations, right? And so there's some tension with that. Well, we're not going to be this family church anymore. We're not going to be this. We're not going to be that. And I started to kind of see some of the momentum was kind of waning a little bit. And it was like, man, is this not going to go through? Like, is this going to kind of stall out? But then it was the the men and the women in our church family with the spiritual gift of faith who were just so alive and just so excited about this. And they were like, man, do you you realize what God could do if we would do this? Do you realize how many more people could come to know Christ? Do you realize how many more kids could come to our Kids Zone program? Do you realize how many more teenagers could come to our Fusion program and know Jesus? Do you know how many more marriages could be saved? Do you know how many more sin people could overcome? And as those faith people, as they were more excited, 
then that spread throughout the rest of the church. The spiritual gift of faith is so crucial in the life of the church. But I love how Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. It says, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, all of us have that. All of us are supposed to live that out. But the spiritual gift of faith just takes that whole up to a whole other level because they know the power of God. They've experienced the power of God. They can see the power of God. And they exhort and encourage the rest of us by their faith. Okay, just a few more, and then we're going to wrap up. The next spiritual gift that we're looking at here is the spiritual gift of discernment. Again, we're looking at the power gifts category. We're looking at how the power of God is put on display within the body of Christ. And so discernment here is a God-given sensitivity to truth, to evil, or to error, right? This is really about sensing things going on in the spiritual realm. And again, I know some of us, when we talk about the spiritual realm, we get a little bit, ah, I like the world around me that I can see. Again, especially if you have more of those love gifts, if you like to helps and service and, and things like that, and you just, you just want to come to the church and move some chairs. <laughs> it's a great gift. So, but sometimes we go, uh, spiritual things, right? They get, get us a little weirded out. <laughs> But this is what the Apostle Paul says. This is what our spiritual battle is against. Our spiritual battle is not against people. It's not against, against movements. It's not against certain people group. It's not against certain political parties. Like We're not at war with anybody. But there's a spiritual battle that happens. Right? And the spiritual gift of discernment sees that more than the rest of us. Right? I love John chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, where it says this. Um, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Again, every single follower of Jesus is called to be discerning, but there's this special gift of discernment that sees this so much clearer than the average Christian. And again, I so appreciate the people here in our church family with this spiritual gift. Um, and I believe that this is one of those spiritual gifts, um, like, like all of these ones, but I think this one in particular really needs to be handled with an extra, extra dosage of grace and an extra dosage of humility. Right? Because I, I want you to just think for a moment that, you're living your life <laughs> and you're going about your life, your Christian journey. And let's say, for example, you're at the church one day and someone with a spiritual gift of discernment comes to you and says something like, well, I've noticed what you've been put that what you've been putting on social media. And I'm really concerned that you might be under the influence of a demon. <laughs> Just, just think about that for a moment. What would be your response? Would it be, wow, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate that. Would that be your default response? Now, it might be your default response if it's someone that you know really well. 
and someone who knows you really well, and you know this person loves you, and you know this person has your back, and you know this person is there for you, and they want you to succeed, you'd probably say, thank you so much for pointing that out. I didn't see that. But what if it was someone you've never met? What if it was someone who was a complete and total stranger? How would you respond to that? Well, I can tell you how I respond to it because (laughs) in my public role as a pastor, I get these comments frequently. I've been called a heretic. I've been called a false teacher. I've been called a wolf in sheep's clothing. I have been called a peddler of the word of God. I have been told that I should be uh, excommunicated. I have been, (laughs) and the list goes on and on and on. And every single time, it comes from a complete stranger. Someone I don't know. Someone I've never met. Someone who's not a part of our church, or if they are, they're brand spanking new, and we've never had a conversation before. And when I hear that stuff, I go, thank you, and the conversation is over. (laughs) Now, and this is the challenge of a gift like this, and we talk about this a lot. This is why these gifts, I think, need an extra dosage of grace, an extra dosage of humility, because even if you are right You are wrong if you're not humble. And the danger I think that we are living in, in the day and age that we find ourselves in right now with social media, is people who have these type of gifts have got many opportunities to exercise them. You can see what the church is doing down the road. And you could want to send something to that pastor, send something to those elder boards, just like people have done to me. They see what we're doing, and I've gotten the text messages on Facebook. Okay, And there's these great opportunities to exercise these gifts. But the big challenge is, as you study these gifts, is these gifts are always, always, always exercised in the context of relationship. Always. See, Paul writes to a church body about a gift being exercised in that church body. And I know there's all this tension going on in the world right now. Yeah, I should be allowed to judge this person. I should be allowed to discern that person. I should be allowed to speak up and prophesy against that person. Be humble with those gifts. Because those gifts are always exercised, as we read about them in the New Testament, in the context of relationship. So if you want to speak your gift to a stranger out there, are you going to let that same stranger use their gift to speak to you? That's how they work. (laughs) And I think this is going to be one of the fascinating things that we are going to have to learn to work better at as the large body of Christ in the world today. That if I want to discern over there, if I want to prophesy over there, well, then I better be willing to let that spiritual gift then speak to me as well. Mutually building one another up. You see, this is kind of my spiritual gift. I've got a little bit of this discerning, and I've also got that little bit of that prophecy gift. And let me tell you, over the last 15 months, I've seen a lot of pastors doing things that I don't agree with. 
<laughs> I've seen lots of Christians doing things that I don't agree with. But guess what? I'm not their pastor. I'm not their pastor. It is not my place to exercise that spiritual gift over someone who is not a part of my body. <laughs> right? So we have to really be careful. Just be really be careful of how we use these gifts. They are needed. They are important. They are appreciated. I love when those gifts come my way from my church family. <laughs> And how we build one another up that way. But we got to be careful on how we exercise these spiritual gifts in a way that the Bible doesn't show us to. So that's just a little bit of a warning bell about discernment and prophecy and tongues and all of these gifts, really. So just a few more, and then we're going to wrap up. So I want to talk about healing, and I want to talk about miracles. Let's talk about the gift of healing and miracles. Let's put those two things together because these are some pretty big things. Healing and God's miracles. Do those gifts still exist in the world today? I believe yes, absolutely yes. I do not believe that these ended with the apostles and the writing of the New Testament. I believe God heals. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. I have personally experienced it. Do I believe that God does miracles? Yes, I have seen it. I have witnessed it. And guess what? I have personally experienced it. And guess what? So have you. Because your salvation in Jesus Christ is a miracle. <laughs> because the Bible teaches us that our hearts were far from God, that every single human being on the planet was an enemy of God, that every human being wanted nothing to do with God, wants to go their own way, thinks they're a great person, wants to be their own God, and all of these things, all of us. But God in his love and in his mercy sent Jesus to pay for our sin to pay a penalty, to pay a price that we could not pay. And us accepting that, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus is a miracle <laughs> that we should never, ever, ever take for granted. That you and I would turn from our sin, that we would turn to Jesus, that we would repent and say, Father, Forgive me, a sinner. And that the Holy Spirit would then be sent to come into us, to indwell us, to give us these supernatural gifts, these spiritual gifts. That's a miracle. And it happens all the time. And maybe that miracle wants to happen again today. Maybe you're here joining us at Greenbelt Online and you know about Jesus, you know about God, but you've never really turned from your sin and turned to Jesus. Right? I love these words from Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of these future prophetic words about the coming of Jesus. And this is what the prophet wrote. He says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment 
that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, you and I have a relationship with God that was dead. And that relationship needed to be healed. And it's only Jesus that can heal it. So right where you are, you can pray very simply, Father, forgive me of my sin. Thank you that Jesus came to heal me of that sin. Father, today I give you my life. God, I want to experience the miracle of being made new, of being made a child of God come into my life. And if you do that today, God just did a miracle in your life. He really did. And we want to praise God with you. A little pop-up in the chat there. If you would just click that raise hand button, we want to just celebrate and rejoice with you. Another little thing pops up. That if you would just click that second button, brings a little form up where you can put your name and your email address. Nobody sees that but me. And I would love to email you, welcome you into the family of God, and send some free resources to you to come alongside you in this new journey with Jesus. Right? That's the healing and the miracle that God does. But then it continues. God continues us on a process of healing. And now healing, again, difficult subject, divisive subject. Does God always heal? No. Why not? I don't know. God heals. I believe he heals. God heals us emotionally. He heals us mentally. He heals us physically. He heals us spiritually. Sometimes people are healed instantly of these things. Sometimes it takes decades. Sometimes it never happens. I've actually had many, many conversations with people who have had major health issues in their lives. And God has not provided healing. And I talk with them about that in my role as a pastor. And I've actually had some people share with me, say, you know what, Pastor? Um, I'm okay with this. Because through this pain, I have felt the touch of God. I have heard the voice of God. And through this suffering, I have had my faith grow exponentially. So we don't know how God always wants to do this thing, this thing. You know, it's, we live in this tension of the now, but not yet kingdom of God that yes, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed, but not yet. Yes. By the sacrifice of Jesus, we are made completely whole, but not yet. And that's that tension that we live in right now. So God heals. God still does miracles. And we see that even here in our own church family, which is amazing to witness. And then very fine, the last thing I want to just quickly touch base on is the spiritual gift of uh, words of knowledge. Um, other people, uh, other places of scripture call this wisdom, the spiritual gift of wisdom. Uh, in convergence, he co combines them as two. And I can see how from his, um, from his hermeneutic and his study of scripture, how he does this and kind of makes them the same gift. Um, and so this gift of wisdom or this, these words of knowledge, right? This is situational communication given by the Holy Spirit for a moment, Right? It, it's a God way of giving a very direct word about an issue that needs to be dealt with. Or it could be a word of encouragement directly from God. Or it could be a situational insight. Right? This is very, very different 
than, um, how can I put it? <laughs> it's very different than just the typical Christian cliches that we tend to say to one another as followers of Jesus. Like when we hear that someone is hurting or we hear that someone is suffering, someone lost their job or someone, you know, they split up with their spouse or things like that. And then we give kind of, we quote a scripture to them. We give kind of a very quick answer that we know is biblical because we've seen it and we've studied it in scripture. But but words of knowledge and, and words of wisdom are not that. They're very, very specific into the situation, and they usually know something about the situation that the person going through it has not shared. Again, I remember the very first time that Danielle and I ever experienced uh, this type of gift before. We had gathered with some friends of ours on the ministry team that we were a part of in our church in Montreal. Both Danielle and I still fairly new in our faith. It had been a few years along. We had started praying and talking about this crazy idea of maybe becoming a, a pastor one day. What would it look like if we as a couple went into ministry? So we were praying about that, and we didn't share that with nobody. Nobody knew this. Nobody. Just the two of us. And we got together with this pastor who was visiting from Egypt. He was a good friend of a friend of ours. So we had all gotten together and we were all praying together one night at my friend's apartment. And this guy just went, you, Kevin, and said, you will be a spiritual father of many. And pointed to Danielle, you, Danielle, you are going to be a spiritual mother to many as you step out in faith and go into pastoral ministry. And we're like, this dude doesn't know nothing. <laughs> now, you know, and so we were incredibly blessed and incredibly encouraged by this. Now, again, the challenge of all of these power gifts, hold them humbly, hold them with humility, because you might get the sense of something and you could be off. And that's okay. <laughs> right? But in that moment, the guy was not off. And so if you ever find yourself feeling that you've got these words to say to people with these words of encouragement to people, again, be mindful of it. Do it in love. Do it with the purpose of building one another up. Do it humbly. Right? But God seems to use this thing in an amazing way. So this is a lot of stuff to cover. 21 spiritual gifts, all needed all useful, all important to see God accomplish abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power at work in his church. So what do we do with that? Well, as I said at the beginning of this message, when uh, Pastor John wrote this book, Convergence, they went on a 10-year journey to figure this out. And that's what I'm kind of hoping that we're going to do as a church as well. I believe the post-pandemic world that you and I are about to step into is going to be an amazing opportunity to bring the love of Jesus to people. But it's going to look different than what church before the pandemic looked like. There are going to be things that the, the kind of administrators and the uh, evangelists and the apostleship and the prayer and the faith people are, we're all going to start seeing ministry in a new way post pandemic. But I believe as we trust God, as we seek God with the disciplines, as we learn what our gifts are, again, because as a church, we want you to know what your spiritual gift is and serve out of it, not just for your personal edification, but so that the mission of Jesus will happen through you. 
And I believe that we are coming into a day where it's going to be amazing to see what God does. But it might take some time. So again, if you're that type who's like, yeah, we're going to implement all of these gifts tomorrow, relax. And if you're the type who's like, yay, oh my goodness, I have to leave this church because they're going to implement these gifts, <laughs> relax. We're all on this journey together, trusting the word of God, trusting the leadership, trusting what God wants to do, and knowing that he will do so much more than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. So, Father God, I praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you for um, how it speaks to us, how it guides us, how it comforts us, how it challenges us. And so, Father, as we um, seek your will for our lives, Father, as we trust your power at work in every single Christian who calls Greenbelt Church their family, their home, Father, I pray that you would help everybody know what their gifts are and God that everyone would know how they could be using them to build one another up, to build up the body of Christ, to see us look more like Jesus, to become a vibrant, growing Christian community that is sent out into the world to engage and reach 10,000 people with the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves them. And so, Father, we trust you that you will work in and through each and every one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.